Welcome to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly in Southeast Spain. We are here for the purpose of worshipping God and reaching others with love. We pray that as you listen, you will be inspired and challenged in your walk with God. Well, good morning again, church. It's me again. Sorry, Mike. <clears throat> right, it's lovely to see you all today. Anyway, it's lovely to be here on this Praise and Worship Sunday. Um, although I've actually called the message today, it's going to be called Worship, not Praise and Worship, even though they go so well together, don't they? Praise and Worship, strawberries and cream, me and cake. It goes extremely well. Um, but it's a great privilege, as it always is, to, be, to come up and, and bring a message, to bring a word, especially with so many distinguished preachers in the, in the congregation. Um, but today, of course, it's our house group. Uh, and as I'm privileged enough to lead the house group, I'm privileged enough to get the job to bring the message. So today, as I said, we're going to look, believe it or not, into worship. So let's come before the Lord in prayer, shall we, before we start. Oh Lord, our God, you are worthy of all our praise and worship. You are the God who never fails to keep his promises. We thank you for your love, your justice, your mercy, and your provision. We thank you for bringing us all together today here in your house. For you are the God who always provides for your children. And our desire is to praise and worship you all the days of our life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our only Saviour. Amen. Well, as I said, we could call today praise and worship. But I've called it worship because... What I actually want to do is point out the total difference between praise and worship. They're two things that are always put together, but they are totally different. When we're praising God, we're acknowledging all the things that God has done for us in our lives. All the things he sends us, all the things he gives us. And he's done so many wonderful things for us, that as it says in Psalms 18.3, he and he alone is worthy of praise. But praise, unlike worship, is a universal thing. We praise our children, don't we, when they do good at school. We praise our family. We praise our friends. We might praise our boss for giving us an extra help with our work. So praise is a universal thing. But worship, worship is something much, much deeper. And we need to know, although the two are together, how different they are. Praise can be part of a worship service, and in fact it must be, like it has been this morning. We've been singing praise to our Lord. And the Psalms tell us, don't they? In fact, lots of passages in the Bible tell us about praise, but Psalms especially, to praise the Lord with singing, praise the Lord with music, praise the Lord with dancing. Don't worry, I am not going to dance. So we can praise all the things in God's creation, but Jesus did say that even if the people don't praise God, the stones will sing out and praise God. So praise is very, very important. But worship changes the tone of how, we, of how we praise. 
When we look at worship, we know that it's a joyous, gratifying thing for both, for all of us. And so is praise. But when worship, it says in Psalms, worship the Lord and bow down to him. In true worship, we are allowing the Holy Spirit to ignite in us the majestic love of our God. So worship, what actually is worship? Well, in the Hebrew and the Greek, the word worship that we've translated to worship obviously isn't worship. It covers a multitude. In some contexts, it means service. It means physically to bow down, to pay homage, to show esteem and reverence. And the word in the English dictionary that we use today comes from an old English 9th century word that literally means worth-ship. Not worship, worth-ship. But for a Christian, worship is celebrating who God is. Not what he's done and what he can do, but who he is. <clears throat> but with that definition in mind of worth-ship, we don't worship God because we want to get anything out of it. When we're praising God, we're praising God for all the things that he has given to us and all the things he's done for us. But when we worship him, we're recognising his immense worth, his immense value, his place as the head of our church and recognising his claim on our lives. You see, the Bible tells us, doesn't it, that we are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. So we are his. We belong to him. And worship is not something that we should be doing once a week for an hour or so in our church. As believers, we should be praising and worshipping God on a daily basis. Everything we do in our daily lives should be done as an act of praise and worship to God. From the minute we get up in the morning till the minute we go to bed. Whether we're at home, whether we're at work, whether we're at church, whether we're in the car, whatever we do, whatever it is, it must be done as praise and worship to our God. And when we meet together as a church to worship, we must remember that there's another Another word we must tag on to the end of praise and worship, and that is witness. Because when we are praising, when we are worshipping, truly worshipping God, we're witnessing. We're not just witnessing to the people around us, to the people we know, we're witnessing to the people we don't know. And worship and the witnessing that it inspires can and does have amazing blessings in people's lives. I know it does. I'm standing here. I know that's because of God's blessings. And not just in our own lives. Do you remember, I'm sure some of you will, or you're probably all too young, to remember years ago, lots of churches of all different denominations, evangelical, Presbyterian, Baptists, um, Welsh Chapel, all these churches got together and they started to do great revivals across the world. 
not just in the UK, or, but across the world, in America, in Spain, everywhere. And in 19, I think it was about 1904, my grandmother, she didn't tell me in 1904, I wasn't alive then, but she told me that in 1904, there was such a revival in Wales. My grandmother is Welsh, obviously, you've got that. And it was started by God through a man called Evan Roberts. It's a lovely Welsh name, isn't it? Evan Roberts. <clears throat> and Evan was born in Lothgar, which is in Carmarthenshire, uh, in 18, I'll just check, 1878. He died in 1951. His father, unbelievable though this may sound, was a miner. So it was no surprise that at the age of 11, he went down the mine which kids of that age did then, to become a miner and work with his father. And he was a, a God-fearing boy because he went regularly to Welsh Chapel and he knew the Lord. He literally knew the Lord even at the age of 11. And he really, really knew that God was telling him to do something else, not to be a miner, which in Wales is... it's going against the grain. And he stayed until he was 23. But as he knew God wanted him to do something with his life, he actually left the mine. And even as I said, from his early days attending chapel, he'd always prayed constantly for revival. So he became a minister. He became a minister in the Welsh chapel. And at the age of 26, two days, three days just before Christmas Day, 1904, God used him to start what was to become known as the Great Welsh Revival. It lasted for just over one year. And in that space of time, they reckon that over 100,000 people gave their lives to Christ. Now, we say 100,000 now as if it means nothing, because with the internet and television and the phone and Thousands and thousands of people can be doing something at the same time. But don't forget, in 1904, this was word of mouth. This was somebody just talking to somebody else. Well, as I say, these revivals, especially the Welsh one, were times of great worship and praise and rejoicing and lots and lots of singing. I can assure you, that's not unusual in a Welsh chapel. There is lots and lots and lots of singing. If it's a four-hour service, the singing is three hours and the service is one. So when Pastor Raphael gets up and preaches for an hour, think yourselves really, really lucky. <clears throat> and in fact, I can remember a preacher telling me in Wales with a very, very serious look on his face. He said, and of course, he said, Robert, you know, he said, lots of people in the Bible, he said, are Welsh. I said, are you sure? He said, oh, yes, he said. Jonah, he said. The prophet Jonah, he was a Welshman. I said, well, I beg to differ, sir, but I think he was an Israelite. No, no, he couldn't have been an Israelite. I said, why do you think he was Welsh? He said, well, everybody sings in Wales. <clears throat> I've been waiting 67 years to get that one. <clears throat> So the remaining 25% of the meeting, as I was saying, was taken up by charismatic, it's just dawned on a couple over here, so, so don't worry about it. 
was 25% of the service was the preaching and strong testimonies and things, but yet not one of these meetings was advertised. There were no billboards put up. There were no flyers sent out. It was purely word of mouth as preachers went from place to place. And non-believers were drawn in by the power of the worship. And what happened? Well, as we heard, over 100,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. Now, some modern-day preachers and clergy think we need to have more revival meetings or Christian crusades like, do you remember the Billy Billy Graham crusades of the 60s? I went to one. Absolutely fantastic. But actually, I don't think we need to. But what we do need to do is put the power and the fire back into our worship. We need to up our game. We need to raise the awareness to people of praise and worship in our lives. Relight the fire, if you like, the passion, the joy, because that's what attracts people to Christ. You see, it's a very rare occasion, very rare occasion, that a non-Christian will come through those doors. It does happen, but it is rare. It's more likely that somebody from the church will bring them or they'll come for a a wedding or a funeral or a baptism or Christmas or Easter. It's very unlikely that they do walk in off the street, but sometimes they do. And all of them, whether they come for one reason or another, are looking for something, something that God can give them. They're looking for answers in their lives. So you see, when people who are not Christians come in, they may not understand what goes on. They may not understand the meaning of some of the words in the songs. They might not know what the Lord's table is and the significance that it holds. They might not even be able to understand my (coughs) broomy voice. But everybody, no matter who they are, why they've come in, or what they do, they know joy and they know happiness when they see it. And that's what we should be doing in church. They can see people's lives have been changed. And when somebody sees that in you, trust me, they will want it too. And that's how God, through us, allows us to witness to people like that. But don't forget that the other side of that coin is also true. If they go into church and it's boring, if it's repetitive, or the people in the church look as if they'd rather be somewhere else, or they fall asleep in the sermon, which I know none of you would ever, ever do, they will say, well, if that's what following this Jesus Christ is like, We don't really want any of that. So it's up to us to keep our worship turned up high at all times. We need to keep our church on fire for the Lord. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. I knew you'd like that one. He once said, he was famous for a lot of quotes, but this was one of his famous quotes, so I better get it right. I don't want to get it right. If a church was on fire for God, then people would come from miles around to watch it burn. 
And that's true. We need to do that. We need our worship to be, to be fired up. Because you see, true worship, and there is a difference between worship and true worship, is a declaration of our weakness and God's strength. Therefore, no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what it is, the answer is to keep worshipping God. Why? Well, because God can give us everything that we need. Now, I know it's easy to praise and worship God when everything's going well, isn't it? It's fine when you've just had that job promotion or we've got no trouble in praising him and thanking him for the pay rise or all the family's doing well or we've just had another grandchild or whatever. But it's not so easy when things are going badly. And people, in their own stupidity, walk away from the Lord when things go bad, when they should be walking towards the Lord. Because those are the times that we need to worship him. That's when we need to get into his presence and allow him to work in our lives. The greater our problems are, or the more intense our pain is, that's the greater our worship should be. Do you remember when King David demonstrated what it means to worship God in the face of tremendous loss and unbelievable pain? His child died. He'd lost his baby. He prayed, he prayed, but the baby died. Now, I cannot imagine the pain he must have felt losing his firstborn son. And yet the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel 12, 20, after the baby had died, he got up off the floor, he washed himself, he anointed himself, he changed his clothes, he went straight to the temple and he worshipped God. Why did he do that? Because it's so important that in times of pain and loss, we move towards God rather than away from him. King David was showing us that we have to say, I feel so much pain and agony, Lord, but I'm going to go towards you because I need you now more than, other, more than ever. And when people see us worshipping God, especially in time when times are bad, like through the COVID, those are the times that God uses the worship and the witness that it brings that we, his people, show to bring non-believers to him. So if you're worshipping God but not witnessing, you're actually disobeying God. If you're just worshipping him because it seems the thing to do on a Sunday, but not worshipping him with you through your heart, with your soul, be careful. Because the Bible tells us the Lord can look into our hearts and he knows exactly what's going on. But when you truly worship God, Others around you will be drawn to God. And you are drawn more to God and compelled to witness more. And when non-believers, as I said, see genuine worship taking place, it is an amazing witness, isn't it? If you remember in Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, the presence of the God was so evident that a whole entire city came out to see it. And 3,000 people were saved. So how were so many people saved so quickly? 
because they felt the presence of God through the, the worship. They understood the true message of God. Now we are created to worship God. It's the only way our souls find true peace, rest and purpose. But it must become a way of life. When you make worship your way of life, it will determine in whose image you are formed. It will determine what you will become. The importance of worship is huge. Worship matters to God and it worship matters to us. When the challenges of life are at their highest, but you keep your worship at its highest, that's when you will see God move on your behalf. And then, and only then, will you understand the amazing power of worship. And it will, I promise you, change your life. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you've brought us here together, Lord, to praise and worship you. Thank you for being with us during this service. Be with us as we leave this place and inspire us to love and serve you, to love and to serve others, to be a beacon to others, to show them the way to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly, a ministry of AMG Spain and AMG International. For more information, please visit our website at www.rcatorrevieja.org. This audio file is not copyrighted.